Welcome to Animal Cafe, where you'll hear weekly interviews with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals, and a monthly segment reviewing fun, fabulous, and useful products for your pets. Check our website, animalcafe.co, for more. Hi there, this is Kelly Dunbar, and today we have Dr. Ian Dunbar visiting for Animal Cafe. And Dr. Dunbar is the founder of the Association of Pet Dog Trainers, the creator of Puppy Classes, the founder of the K9 Games, which I'd love to talk about later as well. And he also, well, he's the author of many books, and he's also my co-founder over at Dog Star Daily. So um, I'm pleased to have him here uh, at this new and different forum. So welcome, Ian. Thank you. Welcome, Kelly. And a good friend, of course. Yes, dear friend. Very dear friend. So... We are here today. It is January, which is National Train Your Dog Month. That's fantastic. Or not Train Your Dog Month, but... Well, I've actually started already and uh, turned over a new leaf starting the 1st of January and I'm now practicing a lot of what I preach and Dune gets a lot of training during our walks. Really? Really, absolutely. Oh, that's great. What kind of training are you doing? Well, he's... uh, I stop a lot. And he has to sit and look at me, and uh, I intersperse little periods of healing um, in between him just walking by my side. So if he walks by my side, he can sniff and do things like that. But healing, of course, he has to pay attention and be right there. And periods when I tell him to go on, and he can go on ahead and sniff and pause and do what he likes. And what is the purpose of this type of exercise? Well, then we can use the, the dog's enjoyable activities walking and sniffing primarily, and then for doing, being on things, that becomes a reward for doing the little bits of obedience. I mean, I seldom heal him for more than like 25 yards, and then I tell him, sit, what a good boy, go on, and he quickly goes over and sniffs something. So you don't believe in the notion, I'm guessing, it sounds like, um, of having a dog that must heal by your side with rapt attention for the entire stroll? Um... No, I mean, I I walk for myself, but I also walk for the dog. And I've always, since uh, I did my research on um, olfactory preferences, I've always wondered, you know, what the dog's sniffing. Why are they... I mean, I get down on the ground sometimes to have a sniff and think, well, I can smell it, but it's not that exciting. But for the dog, he's sniffing and sniffing and sniffing. Then he pees and then he scratches and throws the dirt. Um... And so, no, the, the, the walk is for the dog to, you know, to chill and, and, and do his own thing. And, and I think, you know, going on from there, it's, it's probably two schools of thought in training um, that high power... Only two? Well, yeah, I mean, every <laughs> trainer has their own uh, school of thought. No, I meant in terms of training dogs as working dogs or obedience dogs, that some people think the dog's a working dog, obedience dog, that's all it can do. You know, he lives in a crate, and when he comes out, he works, he heals, he, he herds sheep, or he does protection work. Um, and the other school, which I belong, um, believes that dogs can wear two hats or three hats, uh, just like we can. And, I mean, I would hate to be on alert the whole time, like I used to be in the obedience ring. I mean, I like to relax and chill. So I like to be an owner of companion dogs. But other times, yeah, I would like them to pay attention and do some pretty snazzy obedience. And they learn pretty quickly. That's a good analogy. I like, you know, obviously we humans do 
wear different hats throughout the day and and through our careers and there seems you know, it seems to make no sense that a dog must be on duty all the time but i guess some people do think that that you know the dog is the, the dog has a job whether it's as a companion or a protector or it seems in some cases you know almost like a a servant or a slave. Um. Well, I think, yeah, and I mean, a lot of obedience and working dogs are, are highly bred and selected for that. And for many of them, doing their job is the reward. But a lot of trainers are scared of distractions. You know, if the dog sniffs something or if the dog sees another dog. Um, my view is I like to look at a dog and look at the things that he does. And a lot of these things people would call um, behavior problems. I don't. I call them rewards. So I like to put them on cue, and then I use it as a reward. The dog heals and pays attention. Then I'll tell him to do something that he likes, like maybe to speak, or maybe to jump up and give me a hug. And, of course, for Dune, as you know, his number one reward with me is I tell him to run away. And he runs away, and I chase him. And he loves that game. So now we have one of the biggest problems in the world. Uh, the dog runs away. Um, or the dog doesn't have a recall, but we're using it as a reward. Periodically, I stand still and say, Dune, come. And he goes, Poom! he comes really quickly because he knows if he doesn't come and sit, I just yawn and walk off. The game's over. So you're making training, you're, you're incorporating play and training. Into, yeah, I, into I, I, like to, I like to try and see things from the dog's point of view. I think so many people are very... Um, they're very domineering and bossy and say, right, you will do this, you can do this, we have all these rules. Um, I like to just consider, what does the dog want to do? Um, I remember walking my first Malamute Omaha, uh, the Big Springs Trail in the Berkeley Hills, and coming towards the end of the trail, it's split. There's a fork in the trail. There's the high road and the low road. And we walked along it one day, and Omaha stopped and didn't follow. And, you know, I thought I could have called him, but instead I went back and I walked the other trail and he happily came along. So from then on, every Sunday, we would stop at the fork and tell Omaha, go on, and he could choose the direction we went into. And this is kind of like the research that I did in preference testing. What you're doing there is you're giving the dog a choice and seeing which one he chooses. And so then you know, well, number one, he can tell the difference, like between two odors or two foods or two trails. But number two, he has a preference. And I think that it's so important. And yes, why not give them a choice when we can? Because there, there are times when we must control their behavior for their own safety or for, you know, well, mainly for safety or for just common etiquette. I mean, my dog may have a preference to jump up and lick people in the face, but that's not something that we can allow willy-nilly no but once we know that we can then use it as a reward yes and that's I, the importance of yeah this part i mean of I, I guess reduce the sort of complexity of off-leash training or off-leash control down to let's just teach the dog one really reliable emergency command like sit or down and um, much better than an emergency recall because your dog's in motion and it's a very difficult behavior to maintain through adolescence but sitting down is uh, easy to teach and easy to maintain, and that's all I want the dog to do. You know, you can be off-leash, but when I say sit, I want you to sit. Then I have many options. I usually say, go on, I release him again, so then sniffing and walking rewards him for sitting. Sometimes I say sit, and I put my hand up for him to watch it. 
which means he's not looking at anything else like children or another dog or someone on horseback. Sometimes I call him. At that point, the recall will work because we've proved reliability with the sit. And occasionally I run up to him really quickly and put him on leash. It means the, the environment's going to hell in a handbasket, say a gaggle of children are approaching or people on horseback or 100 goats or something. And so I use every reward I can to reward this emergency sit. I, I want the dog to do it so you're reliably. So you're, you're practicing an emergency sit even when there aren't goats running All by the time, or, all the time. So you're yeah. The dog's walking off-leash, I would say, in an off-leash walk, I would probably tell Dune to sit probably 25, 30 times. So, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and, and once today, I did call him back. Um, that I saw people coming and they had a dog, and I said, Dune, sit, Dune, come back. And he came back really quickly. But the other 25 times in the walk, I said, good boy, Dune, mm -hmm. go on. So it's a safe bet for them to want to do what you're going to do because it doesn't end the fun necessarily. It sounds like you, like you, I mean, we're talking about National Train Your Dog Month, and I want to talk a little bit more about that topic um, in general. But it sounds like you feel that the dog walk, I mean, you gave us a nice simple breakdown of the training for a dog walk or dog training in general via the dog walk. So it sounds like you feel like that's a very important piece of a puzzle in in dog training oh, for a companion dog anyway. Absolutely. If you don't get a handle over the dog's hobbies, um, interests or preferences, which we normally call behavior problems, you're lost. You're not going to have a reliable dog off leash. And so... It, it, it's, it's always been, I mean, way back when I did research and, and I was comparing um, the behavior between dogs sniffing two odors, say there was a, an estrus urine odor and an estrus urine odor. And of course, the dogs just go ballistic when it's estrus urine. They put their nose down and they will sniff it for 99% of the, of the test time. And then I read a book called Sirius by Olaf Stapledon. And it was about a Welsh sheepdog that was uh, had the intelligence of a human, but the senses and body of a dog. And he was describing sniffing estrus urine. And his description was so eloquent and so beautiful. It was like estrus urine is like the tangy smell of dew in the morning. It's every picture you humans have painted. It's, it's every song, a piece of music that you've written. And it absolutely changed the way I did research. I thought all I was doing was timing the dog, sniffing two different samples, counting how many times he peed on them and things like that. Um, and I was missing the whole point that for the dog, this was just everything in life. The experience he was having was just so different that we could comprehend. And so it changed the way I did research. And then when I started training, it changed my approach to training. I always wanted to see the dog's point of view because if the dog's on your team, it's so much easier than this silly approach, you know, that views the dog as our adversary in the training arena and you've got to grab him and flatten him and dominate him and all that kind of rubbish. I like to look on as the dog as my buddy. He's my team member through life and he's on my team in training. No, I like that. I like that a lot. It's a beautiful way to think. I mean, most think of your your companion because most people get a dog for for positive reasons because they love animals, they want companionship. I mean, of course, there can be other reasons to get a dog, but even if you got a dog for protection or for some kind of job, you would still want that that dog to be on your team. Oh, so, absolutely. So think, and I'd want the dog to be totally trustworthy with children and people and not to go off by accident and make decisions like, right, I'm going to take that person out now because they look weird. So I want a really stable do dog before we do anything like that.
It sounds like you're going to get the best performance out of a dog as well if you can incorporate their favorite things in, as part of the motivation for doing things that maybe are less intrinsically rewarding for them. Yeah. And back, back to this you know, National Train Your Dog Month, um, I would actually like to retitle it into National Let's Have a Makeover for Training Month or National Let's Interact and Have Fun with Your Dog Month. For some reason, dog training has got such a bad rap. And, and people think it's a chore, they think it's a drag, and they think that you have to be unpleasant and nasty to your dog. And, and you don't. There's many games that you can play that train the dog, uh, many activities, um, talking to the dog more. Um, and, and so that's what I'd like people to know, that it, it's fun to train your dog. You know, as you're talking about you know, repackaging it, I'm thinking of, the caricatures and popular characters that are out there for dog, you know, representing dog training. And I, immediately what came to mind for some reason was first Barbara Woodhouse. I don't <laughs> know everybody not be, might not be old enough to remember her, but also there was the dog trainer that was on this, The Simpsons when Bart took the dog to class, which was similar, similar mm -hmm. to a Barbara Woodhouse character. And, um, and then we have other popular... You know, it's, it's, It seems like it's always got to be either the... The prudent, prim task mistress, or the brave, strong wolf tamer, and I wonder, I wonder why that is. How did it get such a rap? You know, I I have really questioned the whole TV thing, the the sort of pseudo I'm angry, the weird people on programs, the unreal reality. But this and, goes ways back. All of it, Barbara Woodhouse. It absolutely it's not just does. reality TV. And and I mean that is media. And I like to look more, I guess, at, say, advertisements and sitcoms. Um, and we think of some very famous dogs like um, Eddie on Frasier. And in advertisements, we think, well, little Chihuahua sold millions of tacos. In England, there's a golden retriever puppy that has sold rolls and rolls and rolls of toilet paper. And that dogs are good at selling. People like to watch Dogs just being dogs and doing their thing, like YouTube videos of dogs saying "I love you," like like this. And I'd like to see dogs sell themselves and to sell their quality of life. I think they should have a quality of life and a good relationship with people. And I'm afraid that a lot of advice, really, if you look at it, is is destroying this relationship and and making it an unfriendly one. And I find that such a shame. And training, as you said, can be fun, should be fun. Here you're talking about integrating play and training and walk and training. And uh, I'd like you, to, we only have a few minutes to wrap up, but I'd like you to, if you can, give, you know, leave, leave people with a, a, another fun idea um, for how they can train their dog during National Train Their Dog Month or have fun with their dog month. Or well, I like it when dogs find things that, I mean, you, you compete in nose work and sometimes on rainy days we practice in the house and in the living room and um, I remember this is when Claude was around that, you know, Hugo would do all the searching and then Dune would do all the searching and poor Claude was sort of sitting there and, and it was so obvious he wanted to join in but we hadn't trained him much and, and so I got a lettuce leaf and you hid it and he came in the living room and found it within seconds and I thought, that was just so cool that, you know, even, even Claude could do it. And, and the function there is, if you're training dogs to find an odor, odor, 
Well, the next step is you can train them to find your car keys and your glasses, which I lose about five times a day, the remote control for the telly, and you can have fun things like this. Which uh, also gives them a job in the, in the long run, too. Oh, yeah. So many dogs right now are, are woefully unemployed. Yeah, I, I, I used to, years ago, teach all my dogs that when I come home, I will not say hello to you until you have a chew toy in your mouth. So I would just stand there ignoring them. And then sometimes I give them a clue and say, get your chew toy. And they grab it and say, hello there, I've missed you. And the reason for this is most owner-absent chewing happens right after you're gone. Well, that's easy. You stuff the chew toys with food. But it also happens right before you come home, when they're excited you're coming home. Well, this way now the dog wakes up and he says, oh, wow, it's four. I wonder if Ian's coming. Oh, better get the chew toy. And so, neat game. But we can take it one step further. We come home, the dog has a chew toy in his mouth, and we say, hello, I've really missed you, and why don't you clear up your toys and put them in the toy basket? It's a game, but it's useful, and the dogs love that. And there's so much that they can do around the home. And another of my favorites is teaching dogs to go to different people. So you say, go to Kelly, for example. And then Kelly says, Zuzu, come. And then you would say maybe, Zuzu, go to... And it's a choice between Ian and Jamie. So she has to wait for the name of the word. And what she learns in this is, ah, whenever anybody says go to Jamie, Jamie always calls me. Well, now you've got your own little message runner or search and rescue dog. You can say, Zuzu, come here, take this and go to Ian, please. And Zuzu can go downstairs to my office and deliver the message. So it's like cool things yeah, like this. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, so much... So much fun, and it does seem they truly enjoy having something to do. You know, I mean, and people smile when, when you know, obviously if you give somebody a note, unless it's a nasty note, you know, the dog comes trotting in with a note, and that makes them smile, and it's just a, a warm interaction that, you know, I think is lacking in some, in, in some of our training and daily interactions. With dogs. I, I absolutely agree. I think when you look at surveys on people um, that... And you, you, you ask, say, employees, you know, what, what gives you the most pleasure? And the usual answer is, because employers think, oh, less work for more money. But usually the most common answer is um, being recognized, having a worthwhile job, having an opportunity for advancement. And I really think the same is for dogs. I think they get fed up just lying around doing nothing all day long. And they like to be engaged and they like little things to do, little whether jobs, it's... Get the mail. Yeah, carry your leash, bring me my slippers, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do it on rainy days like today. It is ideal time to train your dog because, you know, walking today was a bit wet. Excellent. Well, there, there's several ideas for people to, to employ. We've still got another week or so in National Train Your Dog Month, but I would also... Highly recommend that people take it beyond January and continue to train their dogs, whether it be trick training or brushing up on the basic skills that maybe you've, you've let slide or that one problem behavior that's annoying to you or engaging in a scent detection class such as our, you know, our serious sniffer classes or something like that um, and get out there and train. And Ian, where can people find you if they would like to learn more about these games or some of your other games? I mean, I would go to dogstardaily.com. We've got, you know, oodles of videos they can watch on training. It's all free, free books to download. And, um, and these are the puppy raising books. So please download them and email them to every doggy person that you know. At dogstardaily.com. Dogstardaily.com. Okay, great. Thank you very much for taking time. I know that you're very busy. 
I'm never too busy to do an interview with you, Kelly. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye.